So we're post-Easter, and uh, in some of the appearances of Jesus to the disciples, just thinking about some of the things that happened after Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared again. And I just want to ask the question tonight, what is that to you? Or actually, as Peter asked the question, what about him? What about him? I wonder, have you ever had one of those moments where you've totally blown it? Yeah, okay, some of you have, yeah, I can tell. That moment when the words are out of your mouth before you realise it and you can't take them back. Yeah? Or your anger flares and you've totally lost it with somebody that you never intended to hurt. Or you've just done the stupidest, most out-of-character thing and you realise that you've lost your reputation and your credibility and everyone's going to know about it. One of those moments that threatens to change your life forever. Yeah? And there's nothing you can do to undo it. Ever had one of those? Because this was Peter's place in this reading that we've just heard. That he boasted about being there for Jesus no matter what. He'd sworn that he'd never leave. He's even promised that even if he's got to die, he'll stick with him. He'd even got his sword out and had a go at the crowd that came up to take his friend prisoner. Isn't that a brilliant bit, by the way? Don't you just love that? It's one of my son's favourite bits of the entire Bible that he always insists he's told every time we tell the Easter story, where Peter gets out the sword, lops off the servant of the high priest's ear, and then Jesus reaches down, picks it up, and sticks it back on again. He goes, no, 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 none of that, Pete. Um... But then he's blown it. Peter's blown it. Not just once, but three times in quick succession. He's denied he even knew the man. And then the cock crowed. And Jesus looked at him. And that gut-wrenching knowledge that he's not the man he thought he was comes crashing down on him like a crushing weight. Yeah? And a failure pressing down on him like a ton of bricks. He's blown it. And just like we might, Peter's suddenly faced with that whole realisation that he's not so brave as he thought he was after all. He's not so sold out as he thought he was after all. He's blown it completely. And the Bible tells us he cries bitterly. He cries at his loss. He cries at his failure. He cries for his Lord, but he cries for himself too. And this is the Peter that we see at this point in the Gospel. Lost, broken, and crushed. He was the one who thought he would never deny. He was the one to whom the keys of the kingdom are given. He's the one that had argued with the others about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to be the rock on which the church is going to be built. And now, he's nothing. If you've ever been there, you know it's a really horrible place to be. 
It's a place where we're forced to face up to our own brokenness and our own inadequacies. And it's a dangerous place. It's a place that can lead us to complete despair if we're not careful. A place where we question our own worth and our own value. And it's a place that can flip our sense of well-being right on its head if we're not careful and lead us to wonder whether life's even worth living anymore. I think that's a place we find Peter in, in this reading tonight. And then in the midst of all of this, there's this sudden rumour thing going on and wonder about Jesus being risen from the dead. And what's that like? It's full of confusion and anticipation and excitement mixed with unbelief and doubt and all these emotions are running through the disciples at this point in time. And then there's this fabulous day where you've given up waiting because the tension's all too much and you just go back to fishing because that's what you know how to do and that's what you've always done. And it's normal and you know what you're doing when you're fishing. And then there's another fishing miracle, like that first one. And your friend looks at the shore and goes, it's Jesus. Jesus is here. And then your old self comes back. And before you know it, you're out of the boat and into the water and rushing for the shore before you even know what you're thinking of. And then you're falling on your knees on the shore in front of Jesus. It didn't even need you to catch any fish, by the way. He'd already got some. They were on the barbie, waiting for everybody else. Who counted them, by the way? Have you ever thought of that? Who counted them? There were 153 fish in that. That's a very specific number. How do we know there's 153 fish in that? Because some guy sat there going, one, two, three. How many you got? 153 fish. Now, rumour has it that there are 153 different species of fish in that lake. I suspect it's one of those lovely Christian urban myths, actually. But it's a great one. Yeah. So he just actually had one of each species come into the net. Because it is a Jesus kind of thing to do. So there's this crazy kind of situation going on. And, and, and this interaction. And then Jesus kind of takes Peter on one side. A bit and asks him this question. Yeah. Performs this amazing act of grace with him. Peter, the guy who stuffed it all up and blown it and lost it and failed. And he gives him a chance to look at himself again and remember all he really is and all he can be. Peter, do you love me? And it's a question that Jesus isn't asking for his own sake. Jesus doesn't need to ask the question. He knew the answer all along. He knew what Peter would become and the part he was to play all along. And he knew before it happened that Satan had asked to sift you all like wheat. And he knew that Peter would deny him three times. And he told Peter, before he'd even done it, I've prayed for you, Peter. Yeah? I've prayed for you, Peter. So the question's not for Jesus. Jesus already knows what the answer is. The question's for Peter. Jesus wants Peter to see himself again and wants to remind him of who he is and what he's called to and he wants him to know that he may have failed but he's not a failure. 
He hasn't disqualified himself and he hasn't disillusioned Jesus. That's the great thing about belonging to Jesus. You can never disillusion him. He never had any illusions about you in the first place. Value was always an option and brokenness and restoration are all just part of the process that Jesus works in us. All of us. So three times Jesus asked the question, and for each one, one for each of Peter's denials. Not so that Jesus can be sure, but so that Peter can be sure it's true. And by the third time, he's digging deep. Can you see that in him? Yeah? He's bearing his soul. He's opened up his chest to show his heart, if he could. Jesus, you know all things. Have a look in here. You know I love you. And the reply comes back, slight paraphrase. Great, you get it. Let's get back to work. And by the way, this is going to cost you everything. There might be a slight paraphrase in there somewhere. But that's basically what he says. And then, Peter sees John out the corner of his eye. Lurking around somewhere. Just offset. And in the middle of this beautiful moment... Our reconciliation and redemption, he gets distracted. Lord, what about him? Jesus has just poured out his love and grace and abundance on you and warned you about the future cost and given you your mission and you're worried about him. But isn't that exactly what we like a lot of the time? Comparing ourselves and wondering who's the best and wondering if God might have a bigger plan for somebody else than he does for me. Yeah? Because Peter and John, together with James, are the three of Jesus' closest friends. They've been together and seen things that none of the others have seen. They get to see the transfiguration. They're in it for all of the special stuff that happens with Jesus. They're arguing about who'd be the greatest because they're the ones that are always at the front. And they're sure they're loved the best. Isn't that John's favourite phrase? These are the disciples Jesus loved better than any of the others. I had this conversation with my wife at lunchtime when she was going, I'm not sure he did love John any better. And I said, you're missing the point. The point is that John felt he loved him better than anybody else. Because Jesus has a habit of doing that with people, doesn't he? Yeah? He makes you feel so special if you can really receive his love that actually you can't believe he could love anybody more than he does you. I think John's on to something. If we can see it. I don't know what they were like. I don't know... Um, what Peter, James and John were like and the private stuff but I'm sure they were friends but I do wonder whether there's a bit of rivalry that goes on deep down inside I can imagine the three of them bantering backwards and forwards on the road behind Jesus who's going to be most important well he loves me better than he loves you yeah but I'm the rock aren't I kind of you know and I love that moment in that little narrative as well where, where Jesus goes, oh, what were you talking about on the road behind me? And nobody wants to tell him because they all know that he knows what they were talking about.
We are a bit like that, aren't we, really? We're children of our Heavenly Father. We've known and we loved and we believed in and we tasked and we've got a call in and an equipping. And so easily, what we're really concerned about is what about him or her or anybody else? We've got more concern with what God's doing with other people than what it is that he's doing with us. And it's part of our celebrity culture in this day and age, but it's always been part of the way that people are. We're more worried about what's going on with somebody else than we are about ourselves. And we need to compare ourselves with other people to get a sense of where we fit in the pecking order or, you know, who's most important or who's special. And we get a validation from where we sit in things rather than who it is that we belong to. That kind of comparison doesn't usually help us. It's pretty much always someone we can look at who's more gifted, more talented, more anointed, more skillful than we are. But all that really matters, of course, is are we doing the thing that Jesus called us to do? Am I doing the thing that Jesus called me to do? So I want to ask the question, what's going on with Peter's question? Is it just simple rivalry between two of the top dogs? Is it because Jesus has just warned Peter that he's going to die for his faith? Which is always a great thing to know in advance, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, by the way, Pete, this is going to cost you everything. Yeah. When you're older, they're going to come along and take you by the hand and lead you where you do not want to go. You want it to share this with me? Come on in, my son. Yeah. Is Peter asking, if I've got to suffer like that, has he got to suffer like that? At least that would be fair. Yeah. Is it asked to know the whole plan? Aren't we like that? Yeah. Jesus goes, I really want you to do this, and we want to go, where does that fit in with the rest of it? Yeah. Now, Jesus gives you a, a, a job somewhere, and you want to know, yeah, well, where's that fit into in the bigger picture of things? What are you going to do in the future, Lord? Is this going to be the start of a ministry that develops into? And all that Jesus has asked you to do, focus on the thing that he's given you to do. Not extrapolate it, not worry about it, not wonder what it might become. These are all the kind of questions that we tend to ask. What I do know is this, is whatever was behind Peter's question, Jesus actually rebukes him for it. He tells him off. He's almost rude. What's that to you? It's none of your business, Peter. Forget it. It's not your problem. But I think he says the same thing to us sometimes, if we could hear it. What is that to you? You know that comparison thing that you do when you feel less adequate than some other people? What's that to you? You know that thing that you do when you think that everybody else seems to be more gifted than you are? What's that to you? You know those people who were friends of yours and then their lives took off and their businesses developed and they became rich and famous or their ministries took off and and they went on to do all these other things. What's that to you? And you know I'll place you in that seemingly insignificant little church somewhere in Crete St. Michael and nobody notices what you used to do no one really seems to discern your gifts and your talents and you get no exposure and what is that to you? 
He says the same thing to us that he said to Peter. He said it to the disciples in the first place and he repeats it to Peter now. You just follow me. That's what I want of you. You see, we easily miss the glorious thing that God is wanting to do in and through us by looking for something more or something bigger or something higher profile. And we can easily miss it by worrying about not being as gifted as him or as well equipped as her or feeling like the last and the least instead of just knuckling down and doing the thing we've been given to do. Each part of the body needs each other. As Paul teaches, toes and even toenails matter. The invisible parts are no less important just because nobody ever gets to see them. Some of the invisible parts on the inside of our bodies, our bodies don't work without them. And the church is no different. So let's rejoice in all that we are made and the fact that the King of Heaven knows our names. He calls us friends. So let's stop worrying about anybody else. And let's remember that actually when we stuff up, we never take God by surprise. And he's always there to give us a way back. And he's always working to restore us to himself. Let's just take a moment to reflect. And let's just recommit ourselves to the Lord in all that he's called us to do. Maybe you don't feel like you know what it is. There's a great thing about following Jesus, really. Actually, all you've got to do is the thing that's in front of you to be done at the time, most of the time. Don't know what your ministry is, doesn't matter. You know you've got to love people, you've got to care for people, you've got to serve people, you've got to do what needs to be done around the place from time to time. Will it lead to anybody, anything else? Don't know. Doesn't matter, what's that to you? Just do it, because it's something you've been called to do. You know you've been caught to share your faith with other people. It doesn't seem easy sometimes and actually people don't want to listen half the time. It doesn't matter. Just do the thing that you've been caught to do. Will they get converted? It doesn't matter. What's that to you? That's God's business, not yours. Let's just recommit ourselves to serving God, whatever he's called us to and wherever we are. If we're significant, brilliant. If we're insignificant in the eyes of the world, it's brilliant. The last and the least in the kingdom of heaven is more significant than those that never make it in. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you've called us to yourself. Lord, you are calling all people to yourself, but you have called us. And Lord, if we put our faith in you, if we receive the gift of your spirit, if we said yes when you said follow me, then Lord you've given us a right to be called sons and daughters of the living God. We are your children, Lord God, and we are significant and we are loved. Lord, help us not to envy others. Help us not to feel inadequate. Belonging to you is enough.
But Lord, where you've given us a role, where you've given us a function, help us to fulfill that diligently. And Lord, for those of us that you call into more, help us to step up and step out without fear, without comparison, without feeling inadequate, knowing, Lord God, that you are the one who equips and empowers for the task at hand. Lord, where we feel that we've disqualified ourselves in any way by our past actions and sins, Lord, thank you that nothing we have ever done has ever taken you by surprise. And Lord, if we yours, it's either dealt with and in the past, or if it's been committed since we knew you, then Lord, we didn't surprise you. And actually all of it can be forgiven by your grace and your love. So thank you, Lord, that we're yours, we belong to you. You've called us by name. We are chosen and accepted, longed for and loved by you. Amen.